0: The School at the Chalet. Chapter 14. Juliet and the Incubus. At once they all closed around her. All that is except Juliet. She stood on the outside of the little circle with white face and eyes closed of dread. None of them noticed her. They were too much interested in Madge and the letter. What is it? demanded Joey. What's the letter say? Madge reading The closely written words on the sheet of the foreign paper did not answer her, so Joey shook her arm slightly. Madge, what is it? With an effort, the elder girl pulled herself together and stood in the startled little crowd of children round her. Never mind, Joey, she said sharply. Miss Maynard, will you take the girls home, please? Tell Mademoiselle I shall be back presently. Herr Marini. I must have a man's advice. Certainly, Fräulein, I shall be pleased to do anything for you that I can. Will you not come back with us? It is difficult to talk business here. Gisla, you may go to the bacau with Bett, but make haste to return. The various parties set off. Miss MAYNARD taking the chalet girls by the lake road to Brissau, while Bett and Gisla struck off across the water meadows in the direction of the Bracau, on the opposite side of the lake, and Miss Bettany and Herr Marini turned towards Totswald. No one even noticed that Juliet stayed where she had dropped in the long grass in a long heap. Shaking with silent sobs, Herr Marini left the subject of the letter severely alone until they reached the Villa Hubertus a pretty wooden house just outside Totswold. Arrived there, he put Madge in a chair on the veranda and disappeared indoors to return presently with a cup of coffee, which he insisted on her drinking before they discuss any business whatsoever. "'You have had a shock,' he said. "'Drink the coffee, Frulein. Miss Bettany drank it and felt better, it took the empty cup from her, placed it to one side, and then sat down beside her. And now, Freiline, let me know what is troubling you in this letter. For answer, Madge held it out to him. Will you read it, she said. He took it from her and read it slowly. Dear Miss Bettany, Captain Carrick had written, Perhaps you will be surprised at what I am going to say. Possibly you will think and say very hard things about me. That is my misfortune. However, let me break to you at once the news I am presenting you with my daughter Juliet. Circumstances over which I have no control force me to leave Europe at once with my wife. A sulky schoolgirl will only be an encumbrance to us, added to which I have very little money at least you have been paid a term's fee, and I dare say you can make the girl useful to you and repay yourself for her food and clothes in that way. If in the future I find myself able to afford to keep her again, I will send for her. Until you hear from me to this effect, she is in your hands and at your mercy. I regret that I am forced to these measures, but I see nothing else for it. Of course. If you like, you can send her to the nearest orphan asylum, but I have more faith in you, in your goodness. For your own convenience, I may as well tell you that neither my wife nor I have any relatives, so searching for them will be a useless. Juliet can tell you that much herself. Au revoir. Lindsay F. C. Carrick Herr Marini swore deeply in German, when he had finished reading this heartless letter, then realized that Madge could understand him, and he apologized hastily. I crave your pardon, Fräulein. It is the callous impudence of this man. He is not worthy of the name of either man or father, that poor child, to be abandoned thus. At these words a slight figure rose out of the bushes, which came up to the edge of the veranda, and a sobbing voice said, Miss Bettany, "'Oh, have they left me again?' "'Juliet!' cried her headmistress, "'How did you come here?' Herr Marini made three strides, and was off the veranda beside the child in a moment. He gripped her by the arm and drew her in to Miss Bettany, who looked at the red-rimmed eyes of the white face with a softening glance. "'What did you mean by again?' demanded the Austrian." Juliet flung herself down on her knees by Madge's side. "'Oh, I was so afraid when they made me a boarder,' she sobbed. "'They did it once before in the hills, but that time the head found them and made them take me back. Then we came here, and ever since he told me I was to be a boarder, I have been afraid they meant to leave me. In one way I'd rather be with you because you are so kind to me.' but oh, it's so dreadful to be thrown on people's charity. She finished with a little dry sob. Madge slipped an arm round her. You poor child. It was such a pitiful existence the child had shown her in that little gasping sob of a speech. She was furious at the letter, but she could not vent her anger on the girl kneeling beside her. Don't cry, Juliet. We'll fix things up somehow. It's very hard luck on you. With these few words, she had won Juliet's passionate allegiance, though she was not to find that out until afterwards. She now turned to her host. Herr Marie. I must think what to do. Perhaps you can help me. Meanwhile, Juliet ought to be at home. It's getting late. Here is Gisela coming. I just want to know if you can tell me whether it would be possible to get on to Captain Carrick's tracks. Could we wire them at M- Munich Station?" Herr Marini shook his head. "'I don't think so. He will have gone back to Munich. He's much more likely to have gone east to Wien, or else straight through to Paris. We can try, but I do not think it would be worth it. Take Juliet home now. I will think what is best to do.' "'Yes, that is the best plan.' "'Thank you, Herr Marini.' we will do as you say come juliet it is supper time now stop crying child and come along you will permit me to row you across the lake said their host it is growing late and the last steamer has gone madge thanked him with her prettiest smile she was as a matter of fact thankful to have him with them for he was right in saying that it was growing late she had been out all day and was feeling tired out with the exertion and the shock Captain Carrick's letter had given her. So she fell in readily with the kind Austrian suggestion, and even meekly accepted the loan of a huge shawl belonging to his wife, when he brought it in with the remark that her, gro- that her gown was thin, and that on the lake, at any rate, it would be rather chilly now. Juliet was muffled up in a similar wrap and then they set off down the quiet road over which the occasional chalet cast dark gloomy shadows in the bright moonlight feeling the child beside her still quivering with the occasional sob madge slipped one hand from under her shawl and clasped the thin fingers in a reassuring grip it is very good of you herr marini she said addressing her host indeed i think everyone is kind in austria ah uh, he said, glancing down at her with a smile. We should be a rude people indeed if we were not grateful to the lady who is doing so much for our girls. It's funny, said Madge slowly, but the only discourteousness I met with have been from the Prussians. The barbarians and I know are all delightful, and as for the trolleys, I cannot say how much I like them. But the Prussians Seemed to be filled with a hatred as bitter and venomous as vitriol. Herr Marini laughed. We had a good example of that today. Little Grizel makes a worthy opponent. An opponent? Why? What do you mean? What on earth has Grizel been doing? Demanded Madge with a feeling of dismay. Oh, she was not really to blame," he replied. It was Frau Berliner who created most of the disturbance and Das Madchen is patriotic, and hot-headed. Here is the boat, mind Fräulein. Will you sit in the stern, please, and steer? He helped them in, and pushed off from the land. When they were well away, he told them of Grizel's encounter with the fat lady of Berlin, describing it with a good deal of humor, and glossing over Grizel's behavior as much as might be. "'Oh, dear, I'm afraid Grizel has been dreadfully rude,' sighed the young headmistress. Then, with a sudden change, she began to laugh. "'I should like to have seen it all the same. I can just imagine it. She is thorough little John Bull, the result, I suppose, of never having left her own country before. Joey, my little sister, is much more of a cosmopolitan, but then she has traveled fairly widely.' "'It was very funny,' agreed Herr Marini, with a reminiscent chuckle, as he drew up by the chalet boat landing. "'No, thank you, Fräulein, as Madge invited him to come in for coffee. I must return. My wife is away, and the children will be expecting me. "'Avita zane! Avita zane!' called Madge softly, as the boat shot out into the moonlight once more. Then she turned to Juliet. "'Come, Juliet. It's appallingly late, and you ought to have been in bed an hour ago.' Juliet clung to her arm a moment, her face gleaming white in the dusk. Miss Bettany, you've been awfully good to me. I'm so sorry I was ever horrid to you. If you'll keep me, I'll do my level best to help you and not be a nuisance. I promise you I will. Madge looked down at her with a little smile. I shouldn't turn you out, even if you were in England, Juliet. Certainly not in a foreign land. Your father guessed rightly when he guessed that. Juliet looked at her with an expression in her eye, which made the elder girl exclaim sharply, "Juliet, what are you thinking?' "'I was thinking, oh, Miss Bettany, do you think they are really my father and money? Mother, do you think perhaps I am a foundling, and that's why?' "'Nonsense,' replied her headmistress firmly. "'That's all rubbish, my dear child. Of course they are your father and mother.' Now come along in, and then you must have some hot milk and go to bed and get some sleep. Come." She turned towards the house as so spoke, and Juliet, her mind set on the rest on this point which had troubled her for long, followed obediently. At the door they were met by mademoiselle, who was looking anxious. "'I had begun to have fears for you, mon cher,' she said to the little Frenchwoman as they entered it is so late, and Juliet will be so weary. Go straight upstairs to bed, mon petit, and I will bring thee a cup of warm milk. Go quietly. Yes, Juliet, go, said Madge. Good night, sleep well, and don't worry. Good night, Miss Bettany, replied Juliet, and thank you. She turned and vanished up the stairs while Madge and Mademoiselle went on their sitting-room there is a cablegram marguerite said mademoiselle as the english girl dropped limply into the nearest chair drink this coffee thou art weary i'm completely done replied madge candidly as she opened the cablegram she read it aloud have nothing to do with carrick writing dick oh well it's done now read this elise and what you think of it she tossed Captain Carrick's letter across to her friend and then turned her attention to the coffee, eggs, and rolls mademoiselle had provided for her. Meanwhile, the Frenchwoman read the remarkable communication with many ejaculations, but of horror and surprise. When she had finished it, she turned back to the beginning and read it over again. But, mademoiselle, she cried in her own language, it is villainy, this. Villainy pure and simple agreed Madge. As for that poor child Juliet, what do you think she has got into her head? That she was a foundling and that's why they don't want her. Apparently it isn't the first time either. They did it once before in India, she says. And she repeats Juliet's pitiful story while Mademoiselle uttered little cries of sympathy. Of course he is quite right, finished the girl soberly. I shall most certainly keep her. "'But imagine the poor child's feelings. "'Of course, it's a silly, morbid idea, "'and there is no foundation for it "'except this abominably callous treatment of her. "'Still, that's what she was thinking.' "'Oh, there can be no truth here,' agreed Mademoiselle. "'There is a most clear likeness to both parents. "'But, Marguerite, have you thought "'that there will be now another mouth to feed?' and another body to clothe. Soon it will be winter. Already it grows colder at night, and she has no winter garments at all." "'Well, what do you propose I should do?' demanded Madge. Follow the delightful suggestion he offers as an alternative to keeping her and place her in an institution. You know you wouldn't hear of it. Now I shall keep her. Next term I shall let her help with the little ones so that she needs not feel under too great an obligation to us. She can do quite a lot without interfering with her own work, and as she will be oldest of our boarders, it need surprise nobody. Now, I vote that we go to bed. It's eleven o'clock, and I'm dead tired. With a blessing tomorrow and Sunday, we can take things easily. At the head of the stairs she turned before going to her own room. Don't let the others know about this, she said earnestly. It would make it so dreadfully uncomfortable for Juliet. Good night, Elise. Good night, responded mademoiselle. Then they went to their own rooms, and presently darkness and silence reigned over the chalet. Chapter fifteen Sunday. The boarders of the chalet school always declared that Sunday was quite one of the best days of the week. To begin with, they could stay in bed until nine o'clock, if they were so minded. Then after their breakfast of coffee, rolls, and honey, they all assembled in the meadow, which ran up from the lake edge to the pine-wood, and Madge read aloud to them for an hour. The Catholics generally attended High Mass, but the service was held only once in three weeks. After the reading they were allowed to wander about as they liked, so long as they kept within call and they were summoned to lunch at twelve o'clock. In the afternoon they generally took books and lay outside reading, or talking quietly or sleeping, and in the evening Madge took the English girls and Mademoiselle the Catholics, and they had quiet talks which never lasted more than an hour. Then they were once more free to do as they pleased, until Marie's bell called them to supper and bed. On this particular Sunday, the first person to awaken was Joe Bettany. She had a funny trick of opening her eyes to their widest extent and then sitting bolt upright, wide awake in an instant. This morning she sat up in her wooden bed, gazing straight out the window. She suddenly remembered Madge's expression as she had read Captain Carrick's letter the night before, and her hands clenched. If he's worried, Madge, I... "'I'll take it out on Juliet,' she thought. "'I hate him, that horrid man. Poor old Madge. I wonder if I could wake her. What time is it?' She burrowed under the pillow and found her watch. Seven o'clock, and much too early to disturb everyone on Sunday. Joey tucked it back and turned her attention to the book at the bedside, which Dick had presented her just before he had departed for India.' The sight of the green cover of the book recalled her brother's cablegram to her memory. She began to wonder what news it had contained. Obviously, it had been nothing serious, or her sister would have let her know before this. At this point the sound of light footsteps aroused her, and turning her head she saw Madge come in, moving cautiously as she skirted the other beds. Her face lit up as she met Joey's gaze. "'So you are awake,' she said in a low tone. "'I thought you might be. "'Fetch your things along to my room, and we'll dress and go out. "'I want to talk to you.' "'Joey slipped out of bed, clutched at her garments, "'and then tiptoed along to her sister's room. "'Miss Bettany was standing in front of the mirror, brushing out her hair. "'She turned round at her little sister, entered and smiled involuntarily at the funny little figure in the yellow dressing gown. "'You do look a fright, Joe,' she said in true sisterly fashion. "'Now hurry up and get dressed. I had a tub before I came to fetch you, and I filled it up again for you.' Joey disappeared into the bathroom to take her bath. Madge then left the bedroom to make a raid on the larder. When she came back, bearing two large chunks of currant cake, Joe was ready, and her bed had been stripped and hung out on the balcony. The Betonese were not demonstrative as a rule, preferring to show their affection by deeds rather than words, so Madge understood what the act was intended to convey, though all she said was, here, catch, and that's all I could find. There isn't any milk either, so if you're thirsty you'll have to drink water. Thanks awfully, said Jo with her mouth full. Ripping cake Marie makes, doesn't she? Are we going for a trot? Just a short one. It's a glorious morning, going to be boiling later. I'm glad I love hot weather, replied Joey, as she crept downstairs after her sister. Be quiet. You'll wake the whole house if you yell like that, returned Madge. Joey gave a subdued giggle, but moderated her tone at once. Madge glanced at her felt a throb of joy. The three months in a dry climate had already made a great difference to her. The cough had vanished, and the warm sun and clean mountain air had wiped out the unnatural pallor which was a constant illness in England had produced. She was getting plumper too, and her eyes were bright. Pretty she would never be, but even with the elusive prettiness of her elder sister. But she had lost her goblin-like appearance." "'You look pounds better,' decided Miss Bettany. "'The Tern suits you.' "'Rather,' agreed Joe, "'suits you too, old thing. "'You're a bit more freckly, of course. "'But I'm not sure it is isn't improvement.' "'Freckly, you little horror!" exclaimed her sister. "'It's a mercy the girls don't hear you. "'That reminds me, Joey, "'you really must try to remember "'not to use my Christian name before them. "'You did it again last night.' Yes, I know it's because you were excited, but you mustn't do it, even if you are thrilled about something. Awfully sorry, murmured Joey. Then she slipped her hand through Madge's arm. Madge, what was in the cablegram from India? Business, replied Madge briefly. She turned and looked at her small sister thoughtfully. She wasn't very sure how much to tell Joey. She knew quite well that something, at any rate, must be told. The family baby had joined in all their counsels ever since she could understand what they were talking about, and she knew Joey well enough to be sure that she would be intensely hurt if she were left out now. Joe was very clannish in feeling. What injured her brother or sister injured her. She would be wondering what had been in Captain Carrick's letter, and the chances were that if she were not told, she would guess. Madge decided that it was better to tell her the whole truth rather than leave things to her vivid imagination. Joe, she said abruptly, I'm going to trust you. I don't want any of the others to know, but you've already shared with us, and I'm not going to leave you out now. That letter from Captain Carrick told me that he was leaving Juliet on our hands. He can't afford to keep her, so he says, so he's dropped her with us. "'It's very hard luck on her, poor kid, because she has no one for the present but us. "'He did suggest that we might send her to an institution if we didn't want to keep her, "'but that's impossible, of course.' "'Of course,' agreed Joey, her impressionable little heart filling with pity for the girl "'who looked on as a nuisance by her own parents. "'Oh, Madge, poor Juliet. "'I'll be as decent to her as I can.' "'Don't let her know you know,' warned her elder sister. "'She would hate that. "'Just be nice to her as you are to Grisel or Gisla or Bernhilda. "'Remember, Joe, I've trusted you. "'Dick's Cable was warning me about the Carracks, but it was too late now. "'The only thing we can do is to be as kind as we can to Juliet and make the best of it. "'Rather.' "'But Joey's bright little face looked puzzled.' "'Well, what now?' demanded Madge. "'What are you thinking, Joe?' "'I was thinking. It seems such a horrid thing to do. To desert your own child. Mother and father wouldn't have done it.' "'I should think not,' Madge's thoughts went back to the long-dead father and mother who had loved their children so tenderly. "'I've never heard of any parent doing it, either. I don't think about it more than you can help, Joey.' Now tell me about yesterday." "'We had a lovely time,' responded Joey eagerly. "'You'd have loved it at the Alta Post. And oh, the mountains! Madge, I love mountains!' "'Well, you've certainly got plenty of them here,' said her sister. "'Go on, tell me what you did. Oh, about that Berlin woman.' What did Grizel say? I imagine she was frightfully rude, though Herr Marini didn't actually say so. "'But I know what she is by this time. "'Tell me all about it, Joey.' "'Thus encouraged, Joe gave a fairly accurate account "'of their various encounters with Fowl Berlin, "'leaving Madge divided between laughter and humor of it all "'and horror at Grizel's behavior. Grizel really is dreadful,' she said at last. "'I do hope you didn't join in, Joey. "'Madge, is it likely? "'I've got a a little common sense.' cried Joey, distinctly outraged. I should hope so, returned her sister. But one never knows. Now, don't get excited. I didn't really suppose you did. Well, it's time to get back now. So we'd better turn. Have you got any idea for Thursday besides the Mondenschernspitz? I've asked Frau Preffen to make some of the cakes for us, and I thought we'd get some tobacco for Herr Braum says the herdsmen always appreciate it, because, of course, they can't get it up here. Oh, that reminds me, Herr Marini is going to ask his mother to make some cakes for us, said Joe. Gisela says she makes gorgeous cakes, all honey and nuts, the kind that melt in your mouth. Oh, Madge, I nearly forgot. He told me to tell you that Frau von Eschnu is coming to see you, he thinks she wants Wanda and Marie as boarders. Won't that be topping if she does? Not really, said Madge with a quick interest. Are you sure, Joey? Well, that's what he said, replied Joe. I say, aren't we growing? Madge laughed. We are indeed. If we get any more boarders, I shall have to take another chalet for us to live in, or have school in or something. Here we are now joey remember not a word of what i've told you to any one else joey totted her little head and madge turned into the dining room where the baskets of piled high with brown rolls and glass dishes full of amber honey gave color to the clo- clothless table the big hand-made cups and plates with their cheerful decorations of unknown flowers painted in vivid colors which stood at each place, had come from the tarn kirch. The table looked un-English in the extreme, but very pleasant and inviting. Presently Marie came in bearing a huge earthenware jug in which steamed delicious coffee, such as one rarely gets in England. She filled the cups by simple method of dipping a mug into a boiling liquid and pouring its contents into each cup. "'while Madge arranged plates of sugar oblongs. "'Breakfast on Sunday was always a jolly meal, "'for rules were then relaxed "'and everyone chatted in their native language. "'Mademoiselle Simone and Joey "'were carrying on an animated conversation in French, "'while Giselle and Margia Stevens "'argued amiably in English "'about the probable ending of some book they were reading. "'And Miss Maynard and Juliet were describing the others,' the walk they had taken on the previous day. Juliet, it is true, had little to say, but Madge noted, thankfully, that she looked more natural than she had done last night. On the whole, the elder girl felt glad that she had taken her little sister into her confidence. It would make things easier, for she hated having any secrets from Joe. Besides, if anyone should be surprised when the next term found Juliet helping, Madge felt certain that her sister would put a stop to that by her own attitude and manner. After breakfast the girls fled upstairs to make their beds, and staff four gathered in the little sitting-room where Madge told Miss Minard that Juliet Carrick was to be a kind of student-teacher next term, as her people had lost money and had left her at the chalet school for the present. Miss Maynard was interested, but showed no curiosity. When Miss Bettany suggested that perhaps she might like to go and write her a letter, she went off cheerfully, putting Juliet and her affairs completely out of her mind. Madge returned to Mademoiselle with a sigh of relief. Thank goodness! I wasn't sure whether she would want to ask questions, and it would have been awkward if she had. I've told Joe about it, Elise. If I hadn't, she might have imagined things and been worried. And they are, and it's quite safe with her she won't talk. No, that's true, agreed Mademoiselle. Have you seen Juliet yet? No, I'm going to see her presently and tell her what I've decided. Now, I must hunt up my books. She turned to the bookshelf, and she spoke, hunting for the little flowers of St. Francis, which she was reading to the girls. Mademoiselle watched her with a sympathetic smile. "'You are very tender of Juliet's feelings, Jetty. I can but trust that she will repay all your kindness to her. She has not proved an attractive member of the school so far,' Madge said. "'I'm sure Juliet will do her best now, poor child.' There was a moment's silence, and then Mademoiselle turned the door with a little nod. "'Perhaps you are right. We shall see. You are not wanting me this morning?' "'Then I will ask Herr Brom to row me across to Baccio for high mass.' "'Yes, do,' replied her friend absently. "'Elise, why are those children so excited? Look at them!' Mademoiselle looked out of the open window to behold Margia, Amy, and Simone racing across the grass with eager faces. At the same moment music was wafted to them on the warm summer air. A band! A band! cried Margia, who had shot ahead of the others. Oh, Madame, a band! All violins and flutes and things. Well, but why get excited about that? Asked Madge. We've had bands here before. There was one last Sunday. Oh, but not like this. They wear hankies round their heads, put in Amy, who had come up panting together with Simone, very bright hankies, all blue and red and yellow and green, and huge silver rings in their ears. "'The Zangan!' exclaimed Madge, her eyes brightening. "'Why, what fun! I wondered if there would be any of them round here this year. They're gypsies, children, and their music is often very wonderful. We must go and listen.' to them this afternoon. I wonder where they will be playing. Gypsies? The people who make gypsy tunes? Like in Liszt's Hungarian Rhapsody? queried Margia, who was intensely musical and meant to be a pianist some day. Yes, just exactly those tunes. You'll love them, Margia. They aren't a bit like other music, but something wild and untamed like the gypsies themselves. I do hope they've a good band." If so, we shall have a treat this afternoon. At this point the others came to join them, ready for the reading. By this time they had reached their favorite spot, so they settled down, and putting the gypsies out of their mind for the time being, Madge read aloud to them about the gentle brother to all things. When the reading was over, she got up, closed the book, and strolled away, leaving the girls to chatter eagerly about the visitors. Every now and then the burst of music, sometimes cheerful and swinging, sometimes sad and wistful, but always with a peculiar haunting wildness in it, came across the meadow to them as they sat talking together or wandered about among the dark pine trees at the edge of the forest." "'Joey, who had read the Romy Rye and the Lavengro*, told them all she knew, and the fascinating subject had still not been exhausted when the tinkle-tinkle of Marie's bell summoned them back to lunch. When the meal was over, they were wildly anxious to go to the Crone Prince Carl at once, but Madge insisted on an hour's rest first. "'And no talking,' she added. "'Run along, all of you, at once.' When they had gone, she turned to the other two mistresses with a smile. Don't you think me unkind, she said gaily. Well, I don't know what two people are going to do, but I'm going to write letters. Be ready in about three quarters of an hour if you want to come. Left to herself, Madge sat down and scribbled a long letter to Dick, telling him the full story of the Carricks and the decision she had made about Juliet. The hour was just ended as she signed it, so she got up and went out to the meadow to summon her girls. Presently they were all ready and set off along the lake shore road. Marie followed them behind, for Miss Bettany had decided that they should have tea at the Grand Prince Carl, so had given her a holiday. Good Herr Braum, the proprietor of the hotel, met them with a beaming face and escorted them to the three tables with their huge scarlet umbrellas nearest the gypsies. Now they all enjoyed that afternoon, even Juliet and Simone, who were suffering from pangs of jealousy because Joey and Grizel had foregathered gathered at another table. Any of their friends were there, Herr Marini, who brought over Frau von Eckenu for a chat with Madge, and Manches, who had a table nearby, monsieur and madame mercier and suzanne and yvette and a many others as grizel had afterwards said it was so unlike england there were the gaily dressed gypsies playing as though they were music-possessed and the merry cosmopolitan crowd seated at the umbrella-shaded tables, the vivid blue lake waters before them, and surrounding all the great mountains, beautiful in the bright July sunshine. They stayed a couple of hours, and then wandered back for their quiet talk, which was never omitted. As they were going to bed that night, Grizel spoke what was in the minds of all of them, "'I think this has been a beautiful Sunday,' she said. "'If things were always like this, it wouldn't be half so hard to keep rules.' "'I suppose it wouldn't really do if things were jolly always,' said Joe. "'It's because they're unjolly sometimes that we find other things topping, I think. "'It would be awfully dull if things were always the same. "'Yes, but some excitement are horrid, and we could do without them easily,' replied Grizel in which she spoke more truly than she realized.